long ways, uh, but certainly a very popular carol, and it's a cute carol for kids to sing, as we just saw this morning, uh, but it's a carol that I want to bring what I call a gotcha message, uh, a hard-hitting message. Uh, it's a message that if you don't like your toes being stepped on, tuck them underneath your seat, but the Holy Spirit will still find them and maybe step on your toes just a little bit. Um, in, in a way, in the manger, it gives us a picture that Jesus, even though fully man and God, did not come down as a king. That's why I love about this carol. Uh, it really shows that who Jesus was. He didn't come down uh, as a king. He didn't come down as a social reformer. He didn't come down as a soldier, as many Jewish people thought. Um, he didn't come down having instant authority absolutely over everyone, but he came down as a baby, being born into this world just like you and me, and then being born in a place that we'd probably deem unclean and unfit, even for our own kids to be born in. And I believe God said, you know what? Um, most people probably won't have their kids there, but Jesus, he'll be born in this place for a specific reason. Uh, this carol has a phrase that repeats itself through the entire song, and it's this phrase that I want to preach about this morning. In your worship guide notes, you have the two stanzas there. Uh, I just want to read through Away in the Manger. I'm not going to say Sing. Uh, I don't think I'm a very good singer. I don't want you to sing out loud because some of you are not very good singers. So, um, but we're, let's read. Let's read. Read through it into the away in the manger. And there's this phrase called "Little Lord Jesus." Every time you see that, can you go ahead and circle and underline that? But let's go ahead and read it. It says this. It says, "Away in the manger, no crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus, underline that, lay down his sweet head." The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus, underline it, asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing, whatever that means, uh, the poor baby wakes, but the little Lord Jesus, again, underline it, no crying he makes. I'm just, Jesus may have cried that night. He's a newborn baby. Just, just saying. Just throwing that out there. Anyone here had newborn babies that did not cry? Yep, didn't think so. Don't lie. I will call you out. Uh, but it says, I love thee, underline it, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my side till morning is nigh. Just in these two stanzas, four different times, the phrase, little Lord Jesus, uh, was written or sung. And it's this phrase that I want to preach about. And, and my goal for this is, is to talk about this phrase, little Lord Jesus. And I want you, by the end of service, to come to this point of contemplating of, do I need to realign myself with Jesus Christ, or am I good to go? Do I need to realign myself with Jesus Christ, or am I good to go? We, we sing this carol, and it's easy to sing with uh, sing it or with kids or have the cute words acted out. And we sing this phrase, little Lord Jesus. What do we picture? What do we, yeah, yeah, we picture a baby, someone in a manger, a, a tiny baby. That, that's probably mostly it. Uh, that we leave little Lord Jesus as cute six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. And we leave him there. And the problem is, I think too many times, especially during Christmas time, we leave cute pound, six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus in the manger of hay, and then we go through the rest of the year. And there's an issue with that that I want to talk about because really, Little Lord Jesus, it's a cute song. It's a song I believe we should sing every year and our kids should know it. And it's a really, really great carol. But I think if we leave it there as adults, as Little Lord Jesus, we do a disservice to who Jesus really is. If you leave him in the manger and you leave him with the hay and you leave him as little, little six ounce, 
six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus and just say, okay, we're good to go. Uh, I think we're missing out on something because let me tell you, uh, Jesus is not a baby anymore. He's grown up. In fact, he went to heaven and he's sitting on the right hand of God and he's coming back again, but not as a cute little baby, but as the soon coming conquering king on a horse with a sword. And I want you to get that picture in your mind because little Lord Jesus, he's not little anymore. He's actually the Lord Jesus. So in the next few moments, instead of focusing on the size of the baby in the manger, I want to show us the magnitude of who Jesus is, even as a little baby, using the phrase, little Lord Jesus. The New Testament has referred to Jesus as Lord over 740 times. And it's this term, Lord, that, that we use, but I think we forget the weight that the title Lord has. I think maybe we've missed out on what exactly Lord means. And so I want to go ahead with this statement that's centered around this entire message, the first point in your notes, and it's this, that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, Jesus is not a Lord. He's not one of the Lords. He's not some of the Lords. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Lord. In the context, I want to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, uh, it really kind of talks about the first time where it says Jesus is Lord. The context of this scripture is the shepherds were out doing shepherding stuff. Um, they just look after the sheep. Um, but they're out there and a host of angels came out. One of the angels, it could be Angel Gabriel, but we don't know for sure, came out and it gave the grand announcement about who is being born. Verse 10, it says, an angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for who? I want to get this little point. For who? All people. Not just some people, not just those who are already found, not just those who are in their church and they're good to go, but even those who are far off, those who are in prison, those who are ostracized by society, those who are living on the north side of tracks, those who are dirt poor, those who don't know Jesus, would even, as we see in Scripture, spit in Jesus' face, he died, he came for all people. That's a whole nother message. We'll preach through there. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. And I love this because he goes right off the bat exactly who Jesus is, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is important because right off the bat, the angel knew exactly who Jesus was, and what his purpose was in this earth what his mission to do. He is the Savior and he is Christ Lord, that Jesus is Lord. So what does this mean for us that Jesus is Lord? Because I think it's easy to say, yes, Jesus is Lord in my life. But what does that mean? What does it mean that in my marriage, Jesus is Lord? What does it mean that in my parenting, Jesus is Lord? That as I'm at my workplace, Jesus is Lord. When I'm by myself and no one is looking, the shades are drawn and the door is shut, Jesus is still Lord. What does that look like for you and me? Because I think, as I will talk later, we can all say very safely with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, but maybe our actions might speak something else is Lord. The Greek word for Lord, I want to kind of just nail it kind of the foundation. The Greek word for Lord, just so we know what, exactly what it means, the New Testament, it's called kurios, and it means this. It means supreme in authority, controller, that's the blank in your notes, and in literal sense, a Lord. And I know as soon as I read this that I think we might have some issues because uh, we have an issue of answering to somebody. 
Don't we? I mean, let's just be honest. Even I, as the pastor, I have issues answering to somebody. I don't like someone to say, I am the controller. I don't like saying, I don't like people saying, you know, I have supreme authority because my rebellious heart and just, you know, me being free-spirited, I want to say, no, you're not. Watch me. But the Lord term here doesn't play any games. It's not any jokes. In fact, when the Greek author, when he wrote it, he uses that term on purpose because it means supreme in authority. There's no one else above this Lord in authority. He's the ultimate controller. There's no one that controls him. He does all the controlling. And in literal sense that he is the Lord. But we have issues with the word controller. I want to talk about that. We have issues with the word controller. Why? Because let's be honest, we like being in control. Do we not? We like being in control. I would dare say that a lot of us in our times where I walk with Jesus, even though we say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus still has competition. Who exactly is controlling? You know who his competition is? Me. You. There's always this battle going on between, Lord, do I trust you and you're in control? Or I've got this, God, this area of my life, I'll be in control. Thankfully, I don't struggle with that. Uh, as long as everything goes my way and how I want it done, then I'm happy, right? <laughs> we can all agree with that. I want to be in control over everything, or when someone else is in control, I tend to complain. Um, I call that leadership, but uh, it can be seen as controlling. Uh, but I hate sitting in the passenger seat because I feel like no one else drives right. Anyone like that? Yep. <laughs> When it comes to church thing, I can tend to be overbearing on the control stuff. I get frustrated when I lose control, like when I lose control of my kids. How many of us are like that? But I love being in control. What about you? How much do you like being in control? How controlling are you? Let me just read a few of these things to see if it hits home. Uh, is it the way that, you, uh, that, you, that your day, your, your certain way that your day is supposed to go? Like you have it planned out. If it doesn't go that way, you get upset. Maybe you have a to-do list. Any, have, any here list makers? I'm, I'm a list maker. Any list, like no one touches your list, right? Because that's how it's supposed to go. Uh, you want to control your kids so they maybe go to this school and go to bed at this certain time and do these certain sports, go to this certain college and wear certain clothes. Maybe you want to control over your personal life and so you already have a plan of when you're going to be married and when you're going to have your house and when you're going to get your perfect job and your perfect spouse and all this stuff. How controlling are you? And the thing is, is that no one would say they're a controller because we kind of see it in a bad term, but I would dare say we're all controllers in this room. We're all controllers. And, but if you want to know who a really big controller is, there's a holiday coming up on the 25th. Uh, and if you go to their house, watch them and see how they react when the kids open up their presents too early or you're picking in the food or you're not supposed to or you're not there at a certain time, come on, church, this is just my household that's like this, right? Or the crazy uncle brings up politics or something. I mean, you watch that, see how people react, and I would say they're, they're controllers. And I think that hits home for all of us. We're all controllers. We're, we're all, we all want to be supreme in authority. But let me say this too. I think it's to say that each and every one of us, that we are controllers, but we like to control a certain area of our lives. Like, we have an easy time letting Jesus in, but there's that hidden little box 
in the back of a dark closet saying, Lord, you can be anywhere else, but don't go in this room. Lord, you can have your way in absolutely anything, but when it comes to my box of finances, stay out of it. When it comes to the box of my marriage, stay out of it. When it comes to raising my kids, Lord, I've got this, you stay out of that. But here's the thing with the word Lord. It means that he rules over every area of your life. Not just some. What does it mean when we call Jesus as Lord? What does it mean when we make Jesus Lord of our life? I mean, that's a phrase we use in church a lot. How many of you guys have seen this? Like, like we say, I will make Jesus Lord. Like, I, I made Jesus Lord of my life. How many of you guys have said that, right? We've said that. But here's the thing, and I think if we can get over this little hill, the rest of the message might make a little bit more sense, is that we don't make Jesus Lord. It's impossible to make Jesus Lord because Jesus is already Lord. With that being said, we have to come in terms where we raise the white flag and we surrender to his lordship and then we submit under to his authority. And I know this is hard because we do not like that, especially with the second word we do not like, and it's the S word, surrender. We hate surrendering. Everything in our culture tells us not to surrender. You don't quit your job, you bear through it. You don't raise the white flag. In our military, we don't surrender. We, do absolutely, we don't do anything near when it looks like surrendering. We stay far from it. But when it comes to our Christian walk, that's a key thing that we have to do. In fact, it's a must. It's one of the things that we can't do without, that we have to surrender. And so that's why I want to talk about little today. And I'm going to pray as I preach that we would all come with an open mind to this because, like I said, it's going to step on some toes this morning. Because my fear, well, I'll get to that. But this word surrender, we have to come to, to its terms. And when I look around in the Christian world, there are two different levels of surrendering. The first one is this, the partially surrendered life. The partially surrendered life. This is, this is the hard thing that we see in church all around the world, and it gives me a little more motivation to preach messages like this because all over the world, especially in church, I would say more in America than any other place in the world, we see this level of surrendering, the partially surrendered life. And I don't know, maybe because we know we're actually in cushy America and we're very blessed and we're, we're far from actual real persecution, where other areas in the world, like, they have to be totally surrendered. Here, we can get away with being partially surrendered and still live our lives. But this is an issue because this is something that I believe contradicts what Jesus wants. You see, a partially surrendered life is where we treat our little Lord Jesus like a pick-and-choose menu. Like, that looks good. I'll take a little bit of that. Uh, that sounds good. Uh, so I'll skip that. And so we kind of pick and choose menu. And the problem is that as this, we kind of go in this partially surrendered life, what it does, it reproduces an era of Christianhood that doesn't resemble what Jesus really wants for his body of believers. Actually, we're far from the picture. A well-known pastor wrote a book called The Christian Atheist, and I believe it explains what type of Christians we have today. It's where they say with their lips that Jesus is Lord, but their actions speak something totally different. Like we have an easy time saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord, but my actions say something else is Lord. 
In fact, Jesus talked about this as on a, uh, if you jump from Luke 2 to Luke chapter 6, is when Jesus is preaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the part of the sermon that's really kind of a, a backhand to those who are uh, chasing after him. And he really makes the, he kind of draws the line in the sand, if you will. In Luke 6, 46, he says this, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This sounds very similar to like a parent talking to their kids, right? Like, listen to what I say and do it. And Jesus is saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Meaning, you you call me Jesus, you call me Lord of your life, but you don't do what I say. There's a, a lot of lip service, but there's not a lot of life service behind it. There's something missing. There's a, why do you call me Lord, but then you do what you want to do. You can't say that you're surrendered, but actually don't surrender. And he's trying to tell these people that being a Christian, it's not a game. It's not something that you just do for fun. It's not a casual lifestyle. It's not something that you do because it might be hip. It's not. In fact, it's something serious and intentional. And dare I say it, it makes a matter into your eternity. And we have to know this because a lot of times, again, we get stuck in our cushy comfortableness. But when you surrender, it's everything but comfortable. If I can share a little more of my heart this morning, one of the biggest frustrations is that today thousands of pastors will get up and do exactly what I am doing right now. They get up and they've spent their whole week praying and studying the Bible, asking God for what the message is supposed to be this Sunday for their people. And he gets up and he preaches to his body that God has entrusted him to take care of and try to make a a difference in their eternity. And the people will hear the pastor's message and they'll say, good job, pastor, amen. And then they'll go home and then they will decide what they liked about the message or what they didn't like. They'll decide if I wanted to hear that, but I'll leave this out. But I want to tell you, thousands of pastors get every day and we preach from truth. And you can't pick apart truth. You can either have some or all of it. In fact, we, we believe in absolute truth. We believe that uh, the Bible is absolute truth. And when it comes to hearing God, I think we still want to be in control. I mean, we'll read from cover to cover and we'll say, God, that's good, but I'll take A, C, D, and then, you know, I'll leave out G. I'll take that, but we'll leave that away. And what happens is, and, and I was going to have a, a thing up here to illustrate this, but use your imagination if you can with me. It, we pick up the Bible. And we read it, what it says from cover to cover, but then we get to a point that says, oh, we, we have to wait till we're married to have sex. I'll rip that out, crumple that, and throw that away. I like the rest. I have to give 10% to the church. That's ridiculous. I'm going to crumple that and throw that away. I have to, like, pray for my enemies and love those who don't like me. I'll rip that out, throw that away. Oh, I'm blessed? Oh, I'll keep that. Turn the page. Like, don't provoke my kids to anger? I'll rip that, throw that away. And so in what we do, we start making our own truth. But I want to tell you, that's not truth. That's just your matter of opinion. We need to come back to an era, Christians, where we are centered around who Jesus wants us to be. 
And we come to not a partially surrendered life, but to a fully surrendered life. And there's a difference because the partially surrendered life is actually what the Bible calls lukewarm. It's really funny, just a little side note. I had an exchange student. You know, was, she knew I was going to share this. I was talking about being lukewarm, and this gal from Norway, was, she was reading this, and she didn't understand our context. She says, who's Luke? And why is he warm all the time? And I said, no. Thank you for enjoying my joke. Didn't go as planned. I'll do that later. But it's the part where we come, where it says, you know, Lord, I'm going to ride this fence, and then I'll choose a side when it benefits me the most. Like, I have no problem of living this blessed life and claiming your promises that we see every Sunday. But when it comes to this part where I have to step outside and be surrendered, I'll just stay on the fence and those people can deal with that. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. In fact, there's a scripture that we know. uh, It's in Proverbs. uh, Trust in the Lord with all your... Lean on, not your... Oh, no, understand. Okay, let me share you a different translation. This is from the PSV version, the partially surrendered version. Let me know if it makes sense. This is what it says. It says this. By the way, for your first-time guest, or this is not real Bible. This is something I made up. But let me know if this makes sense to you. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding. Some of, in some of your ways, you can go to the next one. You can go to the next shrine right there. In some of your ways... Acknowledge him, not all of them, just some of them. And you can make your own path straight. I think that's what Christianhood is like here. Let me say that one more time. I think that's what the Christian lifestyle looks like today. Because in areas that we would think that would be an easy thing to decipher through, hot topics of this life... And rather turning to scripture and what Jesus says, we run to the nearest self-help book. We trust on opinions of celebrities. And sadly, we trust more of the pastor's opinion than what the Bible says. And I would tell you every single, don't just take my word for what I'm preaching. Look at scripture. Because this is truth. And it tells you what a surrendered life looks like. So here's what I want to do before we move on to the second point. I think we all have control issues, including myself. We all have areas that we think we need to control things in our lives because we trust ourselves better than what we trust what God can do. Uh, We trust ourselves more than what Jesus can actually do. But the thing with Jesus being Lord in our lives is that if we don't surrender some things to God, we have to surrender all things to God first and foremost. And so you'll see in the bottom of your notes, it says, what have I not surrendered to the Lord? You know, see a little blank there. I want you to take your Rock Church pen, click it on, click it open, where that is. There you go. Don't do it more than once. You're fired. Uh, I'm just kidding. But I want you to ask Jesus Christ, the Lord, right now, Lord, what have I not given you control of? Don't look at me, look at your paper. Because I want, I want you to do this and I want you to be serious about this because there are areas in our life that we haven't given God control over. Is it our money? Our porn addiction? Drugs? Alcohol, those are kind of the big ones we throw out there. But what about, what, what about pride? What about lust? What about anger? What about those things that we're missing out on? 
you have to give God control over those things. Because that's what it means to be fully surrendered. And I want you to write that down. No one's looking and keep it with you. Because I've even wrote my own thing down. I struggle with things that I think I can control things better than what Jesus can. And, and when I say that, it feels like, you know, oh, that, don't do that. Like, that's bad. But we do it anyways. Because it's actually our natural tendency to think that way. So that's the partially surrendered life. And to help us a little bit, because I know it can seem like this message is coming down a little hard, but let me say this to help us understand the importance of this, is that Jesus, he's not a part-time Lord. He's not a part-time Lord. He he doesn't want part-time followers. Jesus doesn't want fans sitting in the stands where they pack up their cushy seat when the game gets a little cold or gets rough and say, we're out of here. In fact, he, he, he wants team players, and he wants his players to play the position that he set them in on his team. Because each of you, you have a plan, and you have a purpose, and you have a mission in this life, and God wants you to see, he wants to see you fulfill that. But it can only come into fruition if you are fully surrendered, not partially surrendered. Jesus is not a pick-and-choose kind of Lord. He's, a, he's an all-or-nothing kind of Lord. We, we can't treat him like, like, I'll do what I can do to stay out of hell, but then I'll do whatever heck I want to do in this life. That's not how it's supposed to go. You have to treat Jesus like, Jesus, I'm going to fully follow you. Even in times where it doesn't make sense or even if I don't want to because, Jesus, I am all yours. So that's the partially surrendered. Let's go to my second point. There's only two points this morning. The second point is the fully surrendered life. The fully surrendered life. This is the one that a lot of Christians claim to be, but the fully surrendered life reflects something else. You see, the fully surrendered life is an all-in surrendering, uh, holding nothing back, allowing Jesus in every aspect in your life type of surrender. And you have to ask yourself, and I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't say this this morning, you have to ask yourself, am I fully surrendered? Am I all in or am I just ankle deep in what God wants for me? And when it seems like the water's about to come up to my nose and I feel like it's getting a little hard, I back out and go back into the shallows. Are you partially surrendered or are you fully surrendered? Because you have to make a choice. In fact, Paul understood this. It's the type of surrender that Jesus wants and nothing else. And verse 7 says, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, which means that in this life we actually belong to someone. Whether it's Jesus or something else. Verse 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. What's he saying, Pastor Vaughn? He's saying that everything that we are, if we live a life fully surrendered, everything that I am should belong to Jesus. It's, let me put it this way. It's similar to marriage. You see, uh, how long have we been married? Eight years, right? Just kidding. You guys are like, oh my goodness. We've been married for eight years, I think. Um, but it, this fully surrendered is very similar to marriage. You see, when I was 19 and I thought I was rolling in money when I had a couple hundred dollars, um, I wanted to marry my girlfriend who was Jill. And so 
I told my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to get married. And he's like, dude, you're 19. And I'm like, I don't care. I know everything. You know nothing. Uh, but I'm going to go get married. And so I said, let's go to the jewelry store. And I figured out diamonds are expensive. So I got the best diamond I could for the money that I had at 19 years old. And thankfully, she still likes the ring. So it works out. And so, but I, I, I got this ring that costed me something. I paid the price for this ring. And I came to Jill, and I, I actually proposed in a different way. You can ask her how that works. But in the usual proposal, the guy becomes before the girl, and he holds this ring that he paid the price for. And in essence, he's saying... Here's a free gift for you, if you want to be mine. Here's a free gift that I paid, full in cost. If you choose to accept this gift, you are mine. And she said yes, thankfully. What does that mean? I paid the cost. Jill's mine. She belongs to me. Now, before you guys get on your soapbox and say, she's not yours, no, 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 no. Like, you come after my wife, I will beat you up. That's how it works. Same way when she went out, bought a ring, and on stage when we were doing our ring exchange, she says, if you choose to be mine, this is your free gift. I paid the cost, but if you say yes, you belong to me. Jill's mine, I'm hers. We belong together. What does that mean? Let me explain this because I think we need to understand this. When we choose to say yes, we say no to how we were living our life at that point. And we say yes to the life that we want together. When you live a fully surrendered life with Jesus, you have this free gift called salvation. And when you say yes to his free gift... It's exactly like taking that ring in a covenant of marriage. And because you are now saying, God, I accept your free gift of salvation. But I'm going to say no to how I was formerly living. And I'm not going to live my own life how I was living it. But now I'm going to live a life together and you're in control. Does that make sense, church? That's the difference between a partially surrendered life and a fully. You see, a partially surrendered marriage, it doesn't work out. In fact, that marriage is rough. More times than not, it ends in divorce. And there's a lot of heartache and brokenness. But if you are fully surrendered, like my wife and I, we are fully surrendered to each other. She, she does everything that she can to make me happy, and I try to outdo it to make everything in this life to make her happy. And we both know that we love Jesus with all our heart, and Jesus is at the cornerstone of our marriage. And we know if anything else fails, as long as we have Jesus and we have each other, we're going to be all right. And that marriage works because it's a fully surrendered. Guys, we have to be fully surrendered Christians. Because a partially surrendered Christian lifestyle, it's hard and it doesn't work out. The bumps in the road, it comes at you a lot harder than what they should be. I want to look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 again. This is the correct version, if you guys must know. But this is what a fully surrendered life looks like. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In fact, this word acknowledge, you can, you can translate that back down to the Greek. And actually, I don't like that word acknowledge because when we say acknowledge, we think of like, I acknowledge you and move on. This, this word acknowledge actually means to know fully. 
it's yada in Greek is actually what it means. And so translate that to know fully Jesus. Know how he works, what he wants for you, what his scripture says, what he's speaking to your life right now currently. And guess what? When your life gets rough and you think your paths are becoming a little windy, he's going to straighten them. Because you'll know what is right and what is wrong. You'll know what, what God wants to do and what your flesh wants to do. You'll know the difference. And all your ways, know Jesus thoroughly. Let me share this, this last scripture with you, Matthew 7. And this is my fear that I was talking about earlier. Is because I think a lot of Christians in America, we're at this point right here. And it, get, it puts a little fire under me, a little motivation when I preach. And it, that's why I, I tend to yell at my preaching because I'm a little passionate. And, but I want people to know this because I don't want this to happen to us. This is what happens. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, are you doing the will of the Father? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we, didn't we cast demons out in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Jesus, I went to church once a month. Jesus, I put money in the offering plate. Jesus, I put dollars in the, the bell ringers. Like, like, I felt like I was doing the good things. Like, is, Lord, why aren't you letting me in? And verse 23 says something that puts a little shiver in my spine because I think if, I don't, if we don't know the difference, we can get caught up in this last part. And these are words that I don't want us to hear. The words that Jesus will say says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Like, I knew you were at church. I knew you were, like, doing good things. Shoot, you were even volunteering But when it comes to actually knowing me, I was waiting for you and you weren't there. Let me say it this way. You're too busy doing Christian things to actually being a Christian and getting to know your father. And church, we need to get back to this point because I think we're okay with, you know, shoot, yeah, I'll go out and put some toys in the box because that's a good thing to do. I'll give some money in the Christmas offering because that's what pastor said to do. We'll put our kids in Christian school because that seems like the good thing to do. We get so busy, kind of like the whole Mary and Martha story, and we're neglecting the biggest thing that we could possibly do that actually has an eternal impact is sitting at Jesus' feet and getting to know him. Do you know your Jesus, church? I want to share a piece of Billy Graham, uh, one of his sermons. This is what he says. I'm going to read through it quickly. But he says this about surrender. He says, if you, change, if you want a change in your life, if you want forgiveness and peace and joy that you never knew before, God demands total surrender. He becomes the Lord and ruler of your life. You're surrendering all the time. When I fly in an airplane, I have to sit down in the seat, and I'm surrendering to that plane and its pilot because if something were to go wrong, I can't do anything about it. I've been operated on several times and I didn't negotiate with the doctors as they took the knives out and put the anesthetics in. I put my full trust in those doctors and I had to surrender to them. 
God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. That's what God says. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to bless you and to love you and take you into his arms and say, I'll forgive you. I'll change your life. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. That's what God is saying. If you will totally surrender completely to Jesus. And you can't hold anything back. But for those who are fully surrendered, that's the good news, amen? I mean, come on, that is the good news that we have. That, that, that is why I preach every Sunday that we are on a rescue mission because there are people out there that don't have the good news. That they don't know that even, yes, we're fully surrendering, we're also fully living. That when Jesus says, if we had to follow him, we take up our cross, but we do it joyfully. Then he says, if you want to truly live, you actually have to lose your own life. But it's okay because actually to live is actually to die. Are you fully surrendered? I want to encourage you not to leave Lord Jesus as the little Lord Jesus in your life. And leave the nativity scene as we pack up our Christmas stuff and move on with the rest of the year. I want to encourage you to now see that little Lord Jesus, he grew up. And he became, or he was, and is, and will be tomorrow, Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. In fact, do you know when he's coming back to take us home, he's coming down on a horse and with a sword, and you know what's inscribed on his leg? It fully states who he is. Read it in the book of Revelation. King of kings, Lord of lords. No ifs, ands, or buts, that's how it is. That is the Jesus that we serve, church. He's not little. He's a big God that can do amazing things. And he wants everyone to know who he is. Let's pray.